You're listening to the Soul Care Podcast. I'm Elaine Hamilton, the founder of the Soul Care House, a group of therapists working in community with a shared perspective about the path towards healing and change. This podcast is about creating a space for real conversations about real life struggles, a place where you can gather insight and support for issues that are relevant to you and the people you love. So sit back, put your feet up, and let's talk. Today, Charlie Roos and I are going to be talking about marriage and conflict. Uh, You may or may not know that Charlie Roos is our clinical director at the Soul Care House, and uh, we have endless conversations here, day in, endless, (laughs) sometimes too endless, right, Mm -hmm. Um, about our work and um, sort of helping each other learn and and grow um, in, in our ability to help. Uh, clients who come and see us. So today we thought uh, we'd talk again about something that uh, we experience a lot here that we're talking with clients about a lot and that has to do um, with conflict. So we thought today we'd focus on expectations and disappointment. Um, how these two things often re- result in repetitive arguments that escalate Um, and get real uncomfortable, real unproductive, and sometimes leave us feeling like things are unresolvable between the two of us. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And actually, speaking of expectations, I would say, Elaine, before I jump into that, what would you say is the healthy expectation for couples when it even comes to conflict Mm, yeah like should we expect that there's going to be uh, a lot of conflict in marriage should we expect that it's all going to be a bed of roses and I should be concerned if we have disagreements like what would you tell right right I'm just gonna kick it back to you (laughs) nice yeah I think a lot of people come into marriage or these intimate kind of relationships with this hope or expectation that we're just gonna get along because we're a good match for each other or because we really love each other and that somehow um, loving each other will equal right. getting along or seeing things the same. And uh, I think what all of us discover pretty quickly is that conflict is just going to happen. And yeah. I think it's far healthier to see it as an inevitable, natural part of two people sort of committing to do life together, which means like a lot of decision making has to get yeah. made. And the chances of us seeing all of those things, vacation, sex, money, children, all what, what we want for dinner, like the chances yeah. of us seeing those things the same are pretty small. So, um, so that, how do we do it well? Yes. So how, how do we do it well? well and... Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, an, another piece that sometimes we run into is uh, when we see that there isn't conflict in a relationships, I actually get worried about that. I'm like, if if we aren't expressing ourselves if we if our differences aren't coming to the surface it means that one or two or both of us isn't showing up so when we're in scenarios like that it's important to take a look at like is there too much fear of rejection between us um is there a power dynamic going on where i'm just mm-hmm. always acquiescing to you um or is the, there a lack of buy-in on one partner or the other um so that we're trying to actually not get too close. So when people are trying to get close to each other, I think it's inevitable that conflict is going to emerge For out sure. of that. For sure. Yeah. Right. So 
it's not it's setting the stage with that and saying, okay, we're going to have conflict and that's normal. It's just that sometimes the conflict becomes, conflicts in marriage become so painful mm-hmm. and we, and it's almost like the process of healthy negotiation and healthy conflict resolution breaks down for various reasons. And that's really what we're talking about today, right? Is, right. is how do we avoid those like terrible conflicts that are so painful mm-hmm. and get back to doing conflict in a way that we could actually uh, negotiate to mutual resolution and hopefully satisfaction and um, giving and back and forth and right. both feel good. Right. So what you said before, expectations. That, I think what I will often tell clients in premarital counseling and, and often in... in um, regular couples counseling, is that one way to avoid a lot of really awful fights and conflicts can be to clarify expectations way ahead of time, to mm-hmm. make sure we know what we can expect from the other person in a variety of areas so that I'm not surprised when all of a sudden six months in you decide to tell me, uh, oh, by the way, my mom always did all the cleaning and so I expect you to do all the cleaning because that's how I grew up. Right. Or, uh, just so you know, I always got to spend whatever I wanted to growing up, so I, I'm, I'm probably just going to run off the credit cards because we didn't worry about that. And suddenly, you know, your spouse is going, mm-hmm. who the hell did I marry and what's <laughs> happening? And so whether that's finances, chores, ch- uh, how many kids we're going to have, uh, how big of a house we're going to have, where we're going to live, you know, if you're in San Diego, how close to the ocean are you going to be? Do you like it hot? Do you like to be by the water? Do you want mountains? There's so many just little decisions like that that if we can just clarify, this is what I want, this is what I'm hoping can happen, and we work through that ahead of time, we're not, we're not surprised. So uh, one thing that is, one, one sort of four-part guideline that I think can be helpful is from Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, the Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality People. They mm-hmm. wrote some great books. Great books. And they basically say, talk through, think about four areas when you're setting expectations. Number one... Is my expectation uh, even conscious? Like, do I even know mm. that I want this? Right. That I'm expecting this? Because so often they're not. We all of a sudden are surprised by our expectations. Like, well, it's just supposed to be this way. I, right. I've never even thought about it. Right. And so we really want to be able to like make as many of these expectations conscious, ideally before marriage, so we even know what we're expecting. Um, I know, uh, like with me and Heather, my expectation was just she was going to be uh, really neat and organized and want everything to have a, have a place and put it on shelves and stuff like that. And her expectation of me was that I was going to be pretty flexible and not really neat it that way. Mm-hmm. And I can be, uh, by personality, kind of rigid, critical. And genius. It, genius <laughs> at times. Yeah, I was going to use another word. But uh, <laughs> And she's a creative who creates right. beautiful environments, but she sees the world sort of spatially and so we had to work through those things and figure out, okay, like I can expect you, you're going to create an amazing environment for us. And maybe it's better for me to be the one who's going to be the sort of linear the organizer, organizer of the closets or something. Mm-hmm. And, but that we had one big fight after another <laughs> about that until we figured out like, right. this is just how it's going to be. This is what we can expect. And so getting those things kind of dialed in early, what's, am I consciously aware that's yes. step one. Yes. Number two, is this expectation realistic? Mm. Like, there's some things that just aren't realistic. It's um, sometimes uh, we just have to let those things go. Like 
you're, you may never like a certain food. Your spouse may never like a certain food. They may never enjoy desert vacations. They, it's just, right. it's not realistic to think they're going to like and be somebody they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number three they talk about mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, have I spoken this expectation out loud? And number four, has it been agreed to? And so if we can learn how to set expectations by making them conscious, making sure they're realistic, asking for this is really what I want, and then getting an agreement from our spouses, that can prevent a lot of stuff from getting sideways. Yeah. It's sort of just a healthy, uh, a healthy process for that clarification process. But inevitably, some of our expectations, even when they're conscious and they're realistic and we've talked them out and we've gotten an agreement, we can still have those expectations break down, not be met, and then get really, really disappointed. And mm-hmm. that's often when things start to get really messy. Right, right. Yeah, so that's the that's the challenging point, right, where there's this inevitability of our expectations being unmet, um, and then the disappointment is uh, can be big or or not right and and when sometimes it's really big, big sometimes when it's really big it's like super challenging honestly for both parties to manage it because sometimes you don't even understand why you feel so big about something right, right? like um yeah, you're crying because we can't go to sushi tonight i mean how yes. dare you, you know, I just <laughs> yes. thought, like, me. what's <laughs> happening i mean i i remember what right after ken and i got married i had just moved from Canada, left my job, and moved here to California, and I happened to be home from work before him, and he came home and said, what's for dinner? And I just, Perfect like, example right, of expectations, right? right? I'm not even going to ask you, yeah. are you cooking? I mean, obviously you're cooking. Of course you're cooking. And I heard myself say, I have left my home, my family, my job, and my country, and right. now you want me to make dinner? And all you can think about is your food needs, right. son of a bitch. Right. <laughs> and it was just like, it was an unconscious uh, right. need and wound within me, um, and, and it tapped into that place where I, some of my experience as a child was that my identity, my wants, my needs were irrelevant to others right and so uh when that experience happened it taps into that like i'm irrelevant i'm here to serve you and just you know all of this vomit came out and i think that was sort of the beginning of seeing gosh there's there's all these uh all these things going on under the surface which we call triggers a lot of times yes and they're going to emerge at random times. We're minding our own business, and then suddenly a conversation about what we're going to have for dinner turns into, you know, this humongous fight. Right. So how does that happen? Um, so I, I like to think of that as um, whenever you find yourself feeling these big, crazy feelings, um, it's important to just, like, take a minute and try to assess is this tapping into some big wound within me? And, and it's usually something from long ago, something from our family of origin, uh, where something something really wounding happened. And it's getting played out in this scenario. So one of the ways you can think about this or, or try to discover this for yourself is to think about the last time you were really mad at your partner. Uh, what were you really mad about? And if you can get under what the anger that you feel, what was underneath that? 
Mm-hmm. Is there like fear of rejection or did you feel overpowered or did you feel minimized? Like what was Invisible, the thing? Like, in... don't you see that I've moved from yes. Canada and, or whatever. The exactly. Story. Exactly. Yeah. Like what is underneath that? Um, so if I can, if I can figure that out, like what my deep wounds are, I'm going to at least have a bit of a, a self-awareness then about what kinds of things are going to cause trouble for me. So uh, when we get triggered, what's happening is that something in this present situation is tapping into old stuff that is unresolved. So for example, if uh, I'm a young mom, I'm at home all day long with my kids, Um, I expect you to come home at five o'clock to take the kids off my hands so I can have a bath and have some space, but you don't come home till 630 and you're exhausted. You've had a bad day. Your boss was mean to you. I'm not going to be able to be understanding about that if I underneath at the very core of my being believe that my needs are unimportant, Mm -hmm. right? So even if my needs are important to you, when something in a situation suggests that my needs are unimportant, I'm gonna tap right into that old wound and big feelings are gonna come out. So there's gonna be this big intensity, it's gonna be disproportionate, it's gonna be displaced, right? So it's way bigger than it should be, and it's the amount of intensity coming at the person in front of me is inappropriate for what's happening. Yeah, it's like on a scale of one to 10, you would expect a level four of intensity, but there's a level eight. It's like, what's the... Why are we four points higher than we should be? This exactly. Is, this doesn't exactly. make sense. It's not. And then what can further escalate that is if I go after my partner as if all of this intensity really belongs to them, yes. the chances are I'm going to say some real terrible things, yep. right? Like, you don't care about me. Our relationship isn't important. You don't even want to parent these children with me. You know, I'm going to say some ridiculous things. Um, and then likely my partner is not going to be able to do the very thing that I need them to do, which just, which is to address the wound of like, right. of course your needs are important to me. I'm so sorry you that just it wasn't from Canada. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be able to like go through yeah. the whole thing and say, I see you, I care about, they're not going to be able to do that because I just went at them with a shotgun, right? right. I've just like stabbed right. them a now thousand they're times. They're right. Yeah. They're threatened and they're sort of looking, generally when that happens, your partner is looking at you like you're crazy. Because you are acting a little yeah, crazy. Yeah, because you're That's acting a little doing. crazy, yeah. right? And so they're not going to be able to give you any reassurance or mm. to help calm you down because now they're in self-protection mode. Yep. So they're going to move even farther away from you, which then reinforces the big fear that you have that you don't love me. Right. See, I am invisible. Exactly. That's why you're ignoring exactly. me right now. Exactly. Totally. And that, and that horrible feedback loop, we could call it, or reinforcement cycle, there's all sorts of fancy terms, but that idea that I think we see so often is that my solution to this problem, to power up, get mad, demand you meet my needs, mm-hmm. causes, my solution, causes the very problem. Yes. Which is, you distance yourself, you're not there for me, I'm alone. And so right. my solution, by getting aggressive with you, and in my triggeredness, uh, only reinforces making the problem worse. And that right. can be a, a just a when you can't see it, mm-hmm. it's so maddening because it's mm-hmm. like, I'm begging you to solve this problem for me and I'm just making it worse Yeah. the more I yeah. come at you. I think also something that comes to mind would be that um, the different kinds of triggers. I know there's 
what you, a lot of what you talked about, Elaine, I think is the the unmet needs of like childhood. Like mm-hmm. if I was if I felt invisible as a kid, feeling invisible in marriage is gonna be really hard. If I felt rejected as a kid, feeling rejected in marriage is gonna be really hard. If I felt misunderstood, and so on. But then there's also sometimes I think topics that can be really triggering. Like mm-hmm. money was always so contentious, and so therefore in marriage it's really hard to talk about money, and I don't I don't want to go there or. Maybe I have uh, sexual wounding, and so the topic right. of sex is really triggering. And so the more we can understand, like, where are these hot buttons, talk about those things, even setting the expectation with our spouse, like, I just need you to know, I don't handle criticism well. It's probably always going to go badly. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of tread lightly if you don't right. like something I'm doing? You know, we try to, like, prep them a little bit. Um, yeah. That's something I needed to, um, you know, Heather has told me a hundred times or more, uh, criticism is really hard for her. Well, by nature, and, and we've talked about the Enneagram before, and but my, my personality is a one on Enneagram is uh, I'm just more naturally critical and perfectionistic. So mm-hmm. I really have to watch that with her because it, it always goes badly. And right. I mean, nobody likes to be criticized. But, right, right. But it's, it's, and, and I don't do well with being invalidated. That's always been my biggest trigger if I feel misunderstood. And so uh, she tries really hard to make sure that like, I always joke with her, the three words I'm looking for are you are right. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> Those are the three magic words. They're so uh, hard to get. Yeah, they are. So sometimes she jokes me and like, yeah, you're, you're right. You're very right. I'm like, oh, I feel very good <laughs> when you I say thought. that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyhow, that's, again, as we grow and we let go of those things too and we work through them. But early on in marriage, sometimes it's just helpful to know, like, it's just going to go better if you understand what your spouse needs, what their triggers are. Right, right. What, um what will keep them calm. Yeah. I think one of the um, conversations that's going badly between a lot of couples these days uh, centers around um, the larger conversation we're having in our culture right now about sexual harassment and sexual violation. And I know that because so many women have experienced that, um, that when we talk to our partners, about that, we're, we're looking for that kind of agreement, seeing the world the way we see it, finally acknowledging the one down position we've been in, in, toward, in a physical and sexual sense, and the right? The male privilege, the yes, white privilege. All, the, of that. all of that. And then I think what's happening for a lot of men is, um, for good men, is that they're they're sort of coming to grips with their own um, maybe past um, approaches to women and and sort of wondering, have I been one of those men mm-hmm. who's pushed someone too far, who's taken advantage, who's um, pressured right. a woman to give me more than she actually wanted to give me? And so they're feeling this resistance to really engaging in this conversation in a really validating way because mm-hmm. they're feeling a little defensive, right? Yeah. So. Um, I think it's a great example, almost like the cultural conflict we're going through. Yeah. And can we navigate through that both as spouses but also right. as a culture and, right. and, and validate the other person's experience, mm-hmm. especially men validating women. I mean, that sounds really, right. it's really important right now. Yeah, and I think it's a real tender spot for both sexes, yeah. right? Like both of us are feeling a lot of feelings about this. So it makes it very dangerous to navigate those conversations. Absolutely. Yep. I think it's good for men to acknowledge, uh, you know, it is a male dominant culture where men have the power. And so, and that power has been abused. That power is handed to us without uh, us even really asking for it. And so, 
women often have to fight for that power mm-hmm. or claw their way to the top and, and work really, really hard to get things that are handed to men um, with really very little work. So, uh, at times. Right, and I think right. for a lot of men, when they hear that, they also hear, oh, so then you're invalidating how hard yeah, I've worked. I don't and, deserve what I got. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that's why this it's gets so messy, right? Yeah, and yeah. we're not saying that men don't work hard to and don't, you know, haven't earned what they've gotten, but the other side of that is it's yeah. easier for them. And so, anyway, I think it's a great, um, it's a very present mm-hmm. type of conflict mm-hmm. scenario where there's a lot of big feelings on both sides. Right. A lot of triggers often on both sides, too. Right. So when we get ourselves in these kind of pickles, these really difficult conversations, um, what can we do? So let's talk about like yeah. some of the steps people can take or some of the strategies maybe. Totally. Because I, I think the goal is we're trying to back the conversation down before it gets, I mean, you, Elaine, saying, you know, in that sort of conflict escalation cycle, mm-hmm. especially conflict cycle, we say the terrible things yes. at the very top of the cycle. Like the right. very, like it's sort of like we're climbing this mountain of conflict. And when we get to the top, we say things like, I never should have married you. Yes. Or, I don't even love you. Or I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't even know who you are anymore. And right. you know, those, those right. like really painful things. Right. Um, I remember one time when our first three years of marriage, Heather said to me, uh, we were fighting about something and she just said like, I don't even like you. Yeah. And I knew in the moment she didn't mean it. It didn't really bother me. I wasn't that triggered. I was like, eh, I know, you like, I know you like me. You're just mad. <laughs> and it didn't really, I, I just didn't, it didn't, didn't, bother you didn't that hurt much. me that much. Yeah. And so I just said back to her, like, well, I don't even like you either. And then she was just crushed and yeah. devastated by that. And I think, um, unfortunately, I A, I didn't see that at the time. And um, But that was one of those things that at the very height of a conflict, we were just too loose with our words, right. and we were young. We were, you know, we were in our early twenties, and we just had no idea what we were mm-hmm. doing uh, in terms of working through conflict. And it took a lot years to really repair that mm-hmm. one sentence. Yeah. I don't really like you either. Yeah. Took a long time to repair because it was mm-hmm. uh, it was a really vulnerable spot for her. And and she said similar things to me that you know I just I, I needed a lot of repair to figure that out. Um, and, and now you know after. 13, 14 years of marriage, 2004, whatever it's been, yeah. coming up on 14 years. We, we know how to do conflict so much better, so mm-hmm. much of our own therapy, but it just takes a lot of work to get yeah. there. So, so one of the things couples can do, and, and I think oftentimes we're walking them through this, is like, what are the things that we're going to promise not to say to each other? Right. Right? So I always encourage people like, don't swear at each other. It's too big. It's too oh, aggressive. Leave it's the F too, word off the table. Yes. You can you can think it in your head, but don't say mm-hmm. it out loud because it's one of those uh, it's one of those things that might take a lot of repair work. And do you really want to do that to yourself? Right? Yep. Do you really want to throw something out there that you're gonna be paying for for a long time? Other other things I suggest not to say is don't talk about divorce, don't talk about walking out unless those are actually on the table, right? Like yep. if if you've come to a place where like you're really thinking about divorce, even when you've come down, like even the next morning, yes. um, and that goes on for weeks, right? Like then it's the time to say, hey, I just want you to know where I'm at. The things are so bad that I'm actually right. thinking about divorce. But in the heat of the moment, that is never the time to throw that out because again, you're creating more insecurity, mm-hmm. more 
more tra trauma to the relationship, more, more woundedness, and that is not going to help you in the next conversation where you're trying to work something out. It's huge, and I think that's exactly, I fully agree and have seen, I think we work with couples all the time where it's, well, three years ago he threatened to divorce me, and right. that was really awful, and it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just still sitting it's there. still sitting there. Yeah. I think another helpful tool that me and Heather try to use, and I've talked to people about, is the 80-20 rule, we call mm. it, which is like, if I'm in a really big place of intensity uh, with my spouse, with my partner, chances are I'm that 80% of that intensity is about the past. Like when, right. it's, when it's really escalated. And we're talking about those disproportionate times when it's like, and why is it such a big deal that you want to you want to bike there and they want to walk there? Like yeah. why is that, you know, some weird... Why are you like, screaming at me about that? Why are you screaming at me about that? I don't, I don't get it. I like Las Vegas, yeah. you like LA. Does it matter where we spend our vacation that much? You know? Right. Um, so if I'm, if I'm really, really escalated about something, 80% of that is about the past, what you were talking about before, and 20% of it is probably right now. It could even be 90, 10, mm -hmm. 95, 5. You know, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's so often our intensity is just not about the present moment right. and what's happening right now. Yeah, it's that idea that because I was not able to process what was happening to, to me back then, I was not able maybe to fight for myself or right. stand up for myself. I'm doing that now with the full weight of like 30 years of not having done that. So this person in the present is paying for right. all of the past times that I needed, wanted to stand up for myself. So here it comes. And I finally have someone who might listen. Yes. And so now yes. that I have the listening ear, I'm going to just unload. Right. And that's only right. usually unconscious. You mentioned the word displacement before, that which yeah. I think is the defense mechanism of I take energy from the past and put it I displace it onto the present I mean that's mm -hmm. it's a defense mechanism it's we do we do that and it's right. hard to see it and so if we kind of go into those fights with like I'm just going to assume that if I get big and loud it's 80% about the past yes it might help slow me down right uh, to get right. a little more grounded yeah another thing that I uh, like to remember is that Feelings should not be in charge of reality. Yes. Right? So just because I'm feeling very strongly that you are an asshole <laughs> does not equal that you are actually an asshole. Right? right. It's like um, my, my feelings are in charge of defining things right now, and they are probably not on the money. So yeah. I like to think of them as like small children, right? Like feelings are like small children. <laughs> they must be supervised at all times. Mm -hmm. It's important to know what's going on with them. Are they scared? Are they anxious? Are they freaked out? Right. What's going on with them? Needy. Let's watch over them. But the grown-up part of me has to make decisions, not the feeling part. The thinking part of me has to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And so... If I let my feelings be in charge, if I let the children be in charge, they will 100% of the time find the matches and burn the house down. Right. So that is just not worth the trouble to repair. Right. So if I, as soon as I'm aware that my feelings are way too big, I like to lock myself in the bathroom <laughs> yeah. or somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend, uh, when, we, when we were raising little kids together, when she was not doing very well, she'd stick her hands underneath her butt, she'd sit on her hands, and she'd yell, run for your lives, mommy's not doing okay, right? It's just like this beautiful um, expression, like, you guys, I can't be trusted. What's mm. going on inside me is feels so crazy, you should not be close to me. 
And I think we need some version of that to express to our partner, I can't be trusted to talk to you right now. So I need to take a break. I need a timeout. I'm going to go lock myself in the bathroom or go outside for a walk or uh, write in my journal and just try to calm myself down to figure out what's going on inside of me. And then when the thinking part of me comes back online, I'll come back with something that actually makes sense that isn't verbally abusive to you, right? And that that is a clear reflection of who you are, who I am, what this problem really is. But I'm going to need time to do that when my feelings are in charge. Absolutely. I know there's a book. I think the book is called the How to List, How to Fight So Your Spouse Will Listen. And they talk about the brain chemistry. And we've talked about that at, on our staff team a lot, that you know, the amygdala is the fire alarm of the brain. It's in the back of the mm-hmm. back of the head. That's where all that fight flight energy is coming from. And when that is activated in screaming, danger, 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 danger problem solving is futile there's just no point and so i think her name is i think the author is sharon hart may that sounds right and she just talks about that idea like take a break until the amygdala calms down you get your frontal cortex back online you can actually logically reason you can observe yourself again you're not lost in your feelings Mm -hmm. i think as as we do our own work more and more we're able to even see like oh I'm in, like you said, I'm in that place. Right. Run for the hills. You <laughs> Run know. for the hills, everybody. everybody. gets the warning. It's just, it's not time for problem solving and negotiating. It's going right. to be way too charged. Might need a journal, calm yes. myself down, make a phone call. Yeah. Yeah, and we have to uh, have that agreement with our partner that when, when that escalation happens, when there's intensity in the room, both of us have permission to call a timeout like right but one of us should one of us should call it right one of us should say i don't think we should keep talking right now i think we're only going to take this to a really unproductive place yep. um, and and so we each have to have permission to do that and for people who uh for pursuers that's going to be really hard right mm. uh, harriet Lerner in the dance of anger talks about pursuers and distancers and mm-hmm. how people who are pursuers want to keep talking no matter how escalated they want. this right now. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And all the words in the world are the things that are going to solve this, right? right. Uh, and so those folks uh, really have to work harder at creating time and space between each other. That's great. Um, distancers are more likely to want space uh, because they're overwhelmed, their anxiety is so high, they can't think anymore, and they will naturally sort of wander off Mm -hmm. Um, and their task is like can I come back can I go and do the thinking I need to do instead of just calming myself down from the anxiety can I do the thinking I need to do and then come back and re-engage about whatever this issue is so it's great whatever your personality um, type is there um, both of those uh, both of those folks need a sort of a different tack to take but uh, making an agreement between both parties that like when things are going south we're going to stop talking to each other right. and take a break and sometimes I've seen you know for the more withdrawn avoiding conflict types the, the withdrawers the distancers there's times when they will sort of I've they can be tempted to pull that card a lot. Right? Like, yes. I need space. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Every five minutes, I need, I need a break, yeah. I need a break. And, yeah. the, and the pursuer's going to feel like, are we ever going to resolve right. this? Right. And so sometimes we have to tell this sort of distancing personality type, um, it's okay to call a, call a break, call time out. Can you then add in, uh, let's talk about this in an hour. 
Yes. Or how about tomorrow at dinner we continue talking? Right. Because the temptation with distancers is, maybe it's best. Let's talk we just, about it never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about we talk about this? Yeah. Uh, never. Twenty twenty five. We can readdress this. And so, right. um, the other option too with couples who are in couples therapy uh, working on their marriage is to say, let's wait till the next session. And, and get a third party because mm-hmm. we're not going to negotiate our way through this problem without a third, without a moderator. Yeah. And that's okay too. You're, you're yeah. learning how to do this well. Sometimes you need somebody to, yeah. to help you. Right. And that's what the couples therapists are for. Yeah. So steps to take if um, mm-hmm. this sounds familiar to you is um, spend some time trying to get a handle on what are the kinds of things that are triggers for me, what kind of situations, yep. and what's the feeling under the anger. Usually it's anger that we're feeling, yep. what's underneath that, um, and what's that connected to. Mm-hmm. And then the second big piece is taking a break when one or both of us is overwhelmed, right. um, and then coming back to the conversation to try to have it in a calmer way. Right. And if and if it's too complex, Get, you know, get some help for that conversation. But oftentimes, once people sleep on things, um, they're they able it. to readdress and say, "You know what? When that happened yesterday, it just I felt humiliated, and that just reminded me of all the bullying that I experienced as a kid. And I think that's why I was so mad about right. that." Well, I think that speaks to probably the third piece to that. That I would add, if it's kind of understanding your past, taking a break when needed. And then the third thing, I think, is vulnerability. Yeah. Like if we can, you know, we talked about the image of when we're having a conflict, it's kind of like we're, st- like, as it escalates, it's like we're starting to flick matches at each other, these little sparks of intensity. And the problem is that if I'm flicking mat- matches at my partner, it's possible I'll hit one of the curtains and then that'll <laughs> yeah. light the room on fire. And right. pretty soon I'm creating this big mess because, again, I'm, I'm, those triggers start getting sparked and, and, up in flames goes our marriage slowly. And right. we only have so many rooms in the house we can burn down before we've sort of lost the marriage. <laughs> right. And so the fire extinguisher to all that intensity is vulnerability. If I can, mm. what you just said, I think is beautiful. That idea of like, you know, I, I'm glad we took a break. That helped me kind of gather my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was just feeling humiliated. Yes. Like I was embarrassed. I was afraid you didn't care. Mm-hmm. I, uh, when you were pointing out those three things I was doing wrong, I, I was just starting to feel like you, you didn't like me and that you wish you'd married someone else. Right, you know, right. Those vulnerable emotions uh, usually cause the whole conflict to soften right. and they draw your partner towards you. Right. It's it's not pushing them away with your rage, it's drawing them towards with the vulnerability. Yeah. And um, it's hard to stay there. It takes practice because it's, it's, it's much more scary, I think, to talk vulnerably than to talk with your power. Yeah. You know, it feels yeah. good to power up. It's, it's those, it, it can be anxiety provoking to be soft and calm. And, mm-hmm. and then the, your, your partner will also need to learn how to receive that vulnerably. Right. Like, like, I'm really glad you said that. I was also feeling scared. I was also feeling in a tender place. I think I just felt like I, I was ina- inadequate for you. Right. Right. All those things. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Charlie, how about next time? I feel like we need to talk about vulnerability next time, about like mm. how do you stay in a vulnerable place yeah. when you're scared? Yes. So let's talk like about it. that next time. Vulnerability is a core conflict issue. Yeah. I think it's huge. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Soul Care House podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions or comments you have, if there are topics you'd like us to address, let us know. Feel free to contact me at elaine at soulcarehouse.com. If you're interested in knowing more about what we do here at Soul Care, our website is soulcarehouse.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle there is Soul Care House and Barn. Talk to you soon.